Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. All right. Yeah. Our roster looks great on paper. Whoop the hell. Whoop the hell. All right. But at the end of the day, we better be a good team. And you start building that during this time of the year. Get your sorry ass up! Get your sorry ass up! Doing a lot of talking with somebody that ain't do shit today. Doing a lot of talking. Do you think you're better than Jarrell Revis is right now? I'm better than you. My 24 years of life, I'm better at life than you. Dang, dang! Time is on the word! Hey, six. I ain't never seen you before, huh? Back up, Tanner Coach, you need some help. We're gonna expose you, boy. All right, we coming at your ass. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Roundtable. Roundtable. Let's go! Let's go! What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Football Roundtable Podcast, proud members of the Full-Time Fantasy Podcast Network. You can find them at FTF Podnet on Twitter. You can find me, your host, Matthew Burning, at SportsFanaticMB on Twitter. We are just one of a ton of great podcasts associated with this network, though, some of which are Jim Day of FF Champs, Corey Parsons and Dr. Roto from Sirius XM Radio, Mr. Bob Lung, the award-winning fantasy football consistency guide and the creator of the Midwest Fantasy Expo, Dwayne McFarland, Blake Sullivan, and a ton of great others, and you can find all of us on FullTimeFantasy.com, your one-stop shop for all of your fantasy news, advice, and strategies. We at the Roundtable are also excited to be partnering with ExpandTheBoxScore.com. You can find them at XTBoxScore on Twitter. They have some of the most advanced stats in football, baseball, basketball, and college football. College football stats are extremely hard to find. For just $15 a year, you can look at all of these. I'm telling you guys, it is well worth it. If you like to dive into the analytical side of sports and or for I use it for prospects, college football prospects specifically, it is amazing. It goes down to the minutest of details in this stuff. And again, it's just $15 a year. If you use our code ROUNDTABLE, you will get 10% off of that, which is a steal of a deal, if I do say so myself, and probably the best deal in the industry. So definitely check them out, especially if you want to get a jump on the upcoming draft class. It'll be well worth your time and money. What's going on, guys? It's me, Matt, back at it again today. Uh, so we've got our special guest finally joining us for uh, for the podcast. We've been talking about it for about a week now. Uh, I've been trying to get it all lined up. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Dennis and them couldn't be here. It'll just be me, but I've got him coming on here as a very special guest. I'm excited to dive into a, a different side of uh, a dynasty and fantasy football that I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not that good with. I'm not that good with the numbers and analy- analytical stuff. I, I pay mostly attention to what I see with my eyes. I just just feel like 
I trust my evaluations of certain things. Sometimes it's cost me. Sometimes it's been really good, as, as all you guys know who have been with us for a while now. So I'm excited to bring him on here. We are going to talk about the analytics of Dynasty. I'm going to have Mr. Jordan McNamara with me. I cannot wait for you guys uh, to hear this podcast. We recorded an interview a little bit earlier. It's going to come up here right now. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at McNamara Dynasty, M-C-N-A-M-A-R-A Dynasty. I'm telling you guys, it is well worth it. Uh, as you'll hear throughout the podcast, he gives a ton of great information uh, that it could help you guys, not just this year, but moving forward. He's got a great book we'll talk about throughout the entire podcast. Uh, and then make sure to stick uh, stick around to the very end as he gives gives you a lot of different ways that you can find out the stuff that he puts out there. Uh, and I promise you, it might, it, it, this may cost me listeners or, or viewers or followers on Twitter because this guy really knows what he's talking about. Uh, he, he points out a lot of good things and kind of flips the myths uh, and flips the narratives on some stuff that we've all kind of been told our entire dynasty lives that we thought was true. And he kind of proves how it may not be quite as true as we thought it was with the analytics and, and everything that he's put behind it. Uh, so I really hope you guys enjoy the interview. Uh, make sure to please rate, review, and Subscribe on the podcast when you guys get a chance, or if you guys get a chance. Uh, and I'm going to jump Jordan on now, and let's get this rolling. Hello! And as I mentioned in the intro there, we finally were able to get our times coordinated, and our special guest is Jordan McNamara, the author of The Analytics of Dynasty. He is a contributor to UTH Dynasty and a member of the SFWA Jordan Thank you so much for jumping on the round table with me. I wish I could have gotten Dennis or Matt on here with me, uh, but they unfortunately had some stuff going on. Dennis is dealing with family stuff, and Matt is in Disneyland, so you just get me, but we are glad to have you here and talk about the analytics of Dynasty. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm colder than you are, but I am, yeah. I'm, I'm good. Everything's good. Yeah, so tell everybody, we were talking a little bit here right before we started recording, where are you at and, and what the weather is like for you? Because we, I always like to joke, because Dennis and, and Matt, Matt lives in uh, Colorado, Dennis in Ohio, so they always have much worse weather than me here in Texas. How, where are you, where are you at right now and how's the weather for you? I am in Syracuse, New York, and it is very cold. Fortunately, no precipitation. The roads are clear, but uh, it is very cold outside. So, um, although it's it's nicer than it has been in the last couple of weeks, but we're in a we're in a deep freeze. We're in a deep freeze. Yeah, yeah. See, that's the one thing I always uh, talk about: how much I miss being in Ohio. I, I've considered myself an Ohio native, even though I've technically lived in Texas longer. Uh, but I just I love being up north. I'm someone who loves the cold weather. I, I get made fun of all the time down here when it gets into like the 20s. 20s, 30s, I'm still walking around in like shorts and a shirt just because I'm, I'm fine with the cold weather. Uh, but that is the one thing I don't miss is the deep freezes and everything that you guys go through. Maybe it's because Texans don't know how to drive on ice and snow and they still try and go 60 and 70 through everything. But uh, yeah, I don't miss any of that one bit. Glad that I get to deal with my 50 to 60s, sometimes 30 degree weather down here. Yeah, totally. It's funny. I, I lived in Ohio when I went to school and uh, like I would I would I'm fully familiar with like driving through snow and some of the people there like it was it was Western Ohio. Uh -huh. But some of the people there were like really nervous to go out and drive in the snow. And I'm like, I am we're joyriding through right. the snowstorm. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a different it's a different. It's a different experience, I'm sure, down south. Oh yeah, yeah. I, like, uh, like I said, we were talking right before uh, we started recording, and like I, I told you, that I think the last time it had to have been close to five years ago, we had really bad ice down here, 
And, you know, again, me being from up north, I've driven on ice before. I used to go back to Ohio all the time, visit family and everything. So I know, like, you can drive on it, but you don't want to go 67. We have these Texans in their souped-up trucks trying to go 80 down the highway. And as soon as they hit that patch of ice, I mean, just spinning hitting cars it's just it's ridiculous like yeah you got to respect it a little bit but but they don't know they they don't understand what ice is down here like i said uh we had a little bit of a light dusting is what they called it down here and the snow landed on the ground and stayed there for maybe an hour once the sun came up it was gone looked like it had just rained outside we we don't understand snow ice any of that here in texas we would celebrate that in january so yeah it would be be a great day up here all right, so let's jump into some of these uh, the questions I've got here for you. What I like to do uh, whenever we bring on a new guest is just to kind of let our listeners learn a little bit about you. Everybody comes from obviously different backgrounds, have done all different kinds of stuff in fantasy. So just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, how you got started in the industry. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, I So I have played fantasy football for – I was trying to do the math on it the other day. I think it's like since like 96 or 97, somewhere okay. in that range. So since I was like 10 or 11, and um, I have just played all the way through. And I played – you know, I primarily played season long, and then and um, I, I was in a keeper league, a little bit deeper of a keeper league. But uh, in 2012, I started playing – dynasty and then 2012 2013 2014 i just kept picking up more dynasty uh leagues and playing more dynasty leagues and um and so in 2016 i got the opportunity to do some uh, podcasting and some writing at uthdynasty.com chad parsons was kind enough to bring me on and it's funny we just first started talking we would just watch college games for debbie stuff uh-huh. and i never played debbie but i just i you know i liked watching games we'll just talk about it and and doing those sorts of things so i initially started doing a lot of tape stuff and then but numbers the numbers had always interested me and so i sort of last so it would have been 2018 um you know i was doing more more numbers work and i'm still doing stuff at uth and i wanted to play more dfs so i decided to do a whole bunch of dfs research and i basically spent the month of like january and february of like 2018 just like doing numbers research and looking at a whole bunch of stuff for dfs and I like I, I just kept coming back to thinking like you know there's there is like dynasty stuff in this data right and there's just a lot of dynasty stuff so I overlaid a bunch of ADP on it and uh, went back ten years did a, a whole bunch of research com- compared you know different types of profiles and stuff and I was I just started writing the stuff down just to take notes on it because I figured maybe it'd be a podcast or an article or something and through the course of like a few weeks it ended up being like 40 pages just yeah. of like notes <laughs> and I was like wow I have like a book length type deal here so I decided to write the analytics of dynasty one and uh, the 2019 edition and uh, I went through all of that and um, it was great and uh, it was a lot of fun a great experience it was I think it went better than I, I could have expected starting out when I decided to actually write it. And um, and then so all the conversations that I had with the, with that book release and coming through that whole process, I had even more questions in 2019, you know, the summer of 2019. And so I said, you know, I'm going to write a second edition. And it looks a lot at Superflex and different ways to, like, look at player per, uh player progression like if a player hasn't hit like what does that mean and sort of what does that mean for his expectations what a player does hit sort of how does that move the needle i looked at a lot of different lineup constructions roster constructions different ideas about how picks should be valued and a whole bunch of different concepts like that 
And I said, let's do the second edition. So it's, I have the 2020 edition and it's on sale now. And, um, I think you probably, we could probably get into it a little bit more. Yeah. I've, I, so I actually already bought a, a copy. I'm not good with the numbers. I don't know if you see, I, I write for Dynasty Nerds. And so a lot of the stuff that mm-hmm. I do comes based on what I watch and what I see. Cause I, I mm-hmm. like you, I love watching college football. I actually just got into Debbie Leagues, uh, this past season. I had not really ever played in them. Uh, which is an interesting thing for me. I've actually come to really enjoy it. Uh, you did say that you were in a lot of leagues. Before we jump into that, I, I like to jump around. I'm bad about that. Uh, what? Oh, how many? How many leagues are you in? Uh, Dynasty leagues. I'm in twenty, and I've played a couple of keeper leagues, or a, a keeper league, like a home league, and then um, a couple of other leagues. I think I played twenty five total, and twenty of them okay. were dynasty leagues this year. That's awesome. See, most of the people we bring on here are like way less than that. So last year, I'm trying to trim down. I keep telling myself I'm going to, and I haven't yet. But I've luckily Famous not. Last words. <laughs> yeah, I have not taken any more on, which I think is a good move for me. But I was in 38 last year, so I was. Wow. Yeah, I, and the worst part about it is, I'm sure you. I don't know. I would assume with that, it just. There are some of them that when you get to those middle of the pack teams, it's kind of I, I kind of let them go. Like I just kind of like I'm just gonna set my lineup. Didn't improve, didn't sell off, and I feel like that's kind of hurt me. Is why I wanted to cut down a little bit because I don't like being middle of the pack or, or non contenders kind of thing. Yeah, I, I, I'm curious when you like people have asked me, you know, people that aren't into dynasty, yeah, really, and so when they you know they we sort of get talking about the book. Um, and they say, you know, how many leagues are you in? And I tell them and their jaw drops. And I, I usually say to them, I'm like, listen, the difference between playing like two leagues or three leagues and playing 20, like, isn't like once you go from like one to two or like one to three, like the difference between three and 20 isn't that big. No, like it, it's, it's might not. seem like a huge number, but in terms of like time commitment and all the research you're already doing, I would imagine for you, it becomes, it's just basically an application of a process. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah, so I've I've talked about it before, but for me, I, I feel like it's a little bit easier for me because I have two young kids, and so okay. my wife works nights, so I have all night to myself pretty much. So like when I, I know a lot of people I've talked to, like, well, how do you find time to spend with your family and everything? Well, I take the nights are my time. Once I put my kids to sleep, it's time for me to do, as you said, I've already done studying on a bunch of other stuff. At that point, it's just going through waiver wires, and it's not that hard because – I right. imagine what the dynasty leagues you're in are the same as mine. They're deep leagues and the, the rosters are deep. So you're not, chances are you're not going out there. A guy I like to talk about, uh, that obviously a lot of people probably were able to pick up a couple years ago was Philip Lindsay. He's a guy that, that I really liked coming out of college. I thought he might do something, ended up hitting. I was able to grab him in a ton of leagues because of that. Chances are though, in most dynasty leagues, you're not finding many guys on the waiver wire. So at that point, it's not hard to go, as you just mentioned, from three to 20 leagues because you're kind of scrolling through the same names and deciding what moves I want to make. So you maybe spend an hour altogether going through right. stuff where people think you're spending like an hour on each league. And that's just not the case. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that I, each year I try and do something different and like my, in my, uh, in my dynasty habits. So like one of the things that I like two years ago, I was like, I have to be better at waivers. So I've really tried to get better at waivers. And the other thing that I've been trying to do like this year, I said, I need to be, have like a more streamlined lineup process. And so I don't know for you, like, I don't know if I could do 38 in the time that I do it, but like I, I take from when I'm on the East coast or East coast or, you know, Eastern time zone. So from like 1130 until one on a Sunday when the lineups are, are going or, or when, when we first get the inactives, so yeah. you know, like the Sunday afternoon uh, inactives, like I spend basically from 1130 to one, just like inputting lineups. I would imagine like you probably can't do that in 90 minutes yeah. with that yeah. many teams, but 
like, I don't know for you, like that's just sort of how, one of the things that I've done just to manage. I have to block out this time and I have to do it in this time and then just do it essentially. Yeah. I, I would say for me, again, I feel like it always comes back to where your situation, I guess is the way to put it. I have a, a wife who is somewhat understanding of this uh, <laughs> addiction is what I like to call it. <laughs> Uh, so when it comes to me sitting there and, uh, like Sunday, she doesn't really bother me as much when it comes to that. So I'm able to sit there and do it. Now I don't usually have time. The way I do it is I set my lineups usually Wednesday nights, Thursday mornings. My Thursdays uh, with my job, I'm usually afforded a lot of free time. So I kind of go through all my right. lineups, then set my, set my lineups. And then I have a spreadsheet of guys that I have question marks on, on if I want to move them out, if they might be injured and everything. And then I kind of go over that Sunday. So for the most part, I unfortunately kind of set most of my lineups on Thursday. Now I've got, okay. I'd say, 12 leagues that I'm really passionate about. Those, I do exactly what you were just talking about when it comes to Sundays. Those are the ones that I'm paying and a, a lot amount of attention to just trying to get through, make sure I'm setting the perfect lineup, probably overanalyzing it, pulling players out. I shouldn't as, as I'm sure a lot of everybody does now <laughs> these days. They kind of overanalyze everything. Uh, so that, that's the way that I do it. But yeah, it's, it's a interesting process because I'm, I'm with you. A lot of people, when I say that, they're like, well, how do you have the time or where do you find the time to do it? And it's really, it's not that big a difference. Like I, I, I completely agree with what you say. If people give it a shot, now I wouldn't suggest doing 38. I even think 25 is a lot, but if you can, mm-hmm. three is not, uh, it, it's not that far off from like 10 or 12 leagues. I think if you really wanted to put time to it. Right. And you're not drafting like it would be for me, it would be a lot different if it was like redraft where you have to yeah. draft all those times. You know what I mean? Or um, but like for Di- like Dynasty, you just sort of roll it over, you know, yeah. so it's not you're not all that initial energy is spent, basically. So, you know, rookie drafts basically is your big your big time you know, where all of the time comes at once. But yeah, it's interesting. I was like talking to people that like seeing what the process is on other people uh, when they play bigger leagues because I was trying to improve mine. But now that I've hijacked your show and started asking you no, questions. No, you're good. <laughs> uh, hey, I, I like that. It's it's more fun than sometimes. I'm not, I'm not want to name names. We've had some people on here who have just like, it's just question, question, question. Like, all right, I'm out of here. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I, I like to have conversations. So no, I got you. I, I love it. I'm it's interested to hear that part of it too. Cause like, I got... Like I said, most of the time I'm talking to people who are max like 12 leagues. Like Dennis, for instance, who, who's my co-host on here, like he feels like he's capped at 8 to 10. And so we mm-hmm. talk about that. He same thing. He's like, I just don't understand how you do it. It's like, it's not. my. I have one redraft league, and that's kind of my one where waivers are. But that's one of those 12 leagues that I was just telling you about. I pay a lot of attention mm-hmm. to because I know I have to because I'll be able to find players on the waiver wire. But I won't do more than one because I just can't handle it at that point. So. I'm right there with you. Uh, you said that you've been playing fantasy since since about 1992, correct? Was that what it was? 90. It's either I was doing the math. And I was talking about I owned my first team with my dad, and it was like a neighborhood. You know, so we got in it through our neighborhood. Okay. Uh, someone that we lived with and or lived in the neighborhood with, and I think I think it was like 97. Oh, 97. So I've okay. been doing it for. Yeah, because we and then it started a keeper league in Peyton Manning's second year. So I think it was like whatever that is, like ninety nine or two thousand. Yeah. But it was a couple of years of a redraft league before that. So okay, um, but yeah, it was. Uh, I th- so say ninety six or ninety seven. All right, so you've been playing much longer than me. So that gives, I mean, uh, that is what it is. Uh, my my question, I guess, I was trying to lead to was. What is your favorite form of Dynasty? I know you were talking about uh, you were playing in Dynasty. Do you mix it in like IDP? I know you mentioned Devi. Like, what, what's your favorite one that you love to dive into, or what do you have more of in your mixture of twenty-five leagues? 
So people have asked me about like playing Devi and uh, and IDP. Um, I can't like I can't do those because okay. if I sort of take the if I take the dive into I'm in one Devi league. If I take the dive into IDP, like I will go down a rabbit hole. The last time I went down a rabbit hole, I came out writing two books. Like I don't know where I'll just dig myself a hole that I'll never come out of if I start studying IDP because I'll try and come up with like a projection model and all these things. So I'm I am sort of reluctant to take any steps on IDP, and I sort of stay away from Devi for a lot of the same reasons because it's just. I sort of know once I go there, it'll just it'll it'll just become even more of an in-depth right. thing, and I just I, I I worry about I I have to maintain some mental sanity at some point. So I I haven't taken the too big a dives into those, um, but I really like playing. I would say a majority of my leagues are start one, just because when I started to play and started doing startup drafts, like that was what the common form was, and I've just yeah. kept those teams. Um, but I I haven't gotten in a startup that isn't super flex in three years maybe something like that like it's been it's been a while since i've added a start one league um but yeah i like super flex um i like and i like i like two tight ends like if Mm -hmm. playing two tight ends i think it really opens up um a different a whole different position because it forces you to start uh, a lot deeper down the line in terms of players um, and anytime you can bring more players I mean that's the benefit of Superflex because it brings it makes more people valuable um, and so I like I like those and I like rosters that have I like deeper rosters with um, deeper starting lineups and less uh, starting requirements mm-hmm. so for instance like I like the the hyperflex formats where you have to start like one running back one wide receiver and then you can start like six flexes or whatever like okay. that or whatever uh, whatever the flex number is but I like those minimal starting requirements and it, it gives you a lot of different avenues to explore a strategy and implement it yeah I like that uh, that well, I have one league like that uh, one of the uh, leagues I'm in with the the dynasty nerds group we have you got the one quarterback one running back one wide receiver one tight end and then we have eight flex spots and it can be anything mm-hmm. well, you, there is a there's a limit on technically one super flex spot so you can start one other quarterback but then everything else is anybody you want if you want to draft a bunch of tight ends or wide receivers you can only have to have you know two running backs technically if you want to have the one guy to replace on a buy so yeah I'm with you it's it's an interesting way to go about it because I've always or at least for the longest time when I first started playing Dynasty, I was very much about uh, wide receivers because uh, I was just I don't I love wide receivers. I've always I don't I mean not that I like, played wide receiver, but I just I loved watching wide receivers. I just have a fascination with them and the way they play their game. Where I kind of feel like this is something I want to get into. Obviously, with the analytics, as I was reading some of the stuff you had with your hit rate hit rates on. Uh, wide receivers and running backs and I was kind of interested on on which way you lean because I feel like lately the the way is to go running back because they seem to give you that value quicker than wide receivers do where would you go or I'll save that because we haven't technically dived into the book yet last question then we're going to dive into the book uh favorite team and favorite player do you have one favorite team's the Buffalo Bills I'm a long-suffering Buffalo Bills fan um for as long as I remember, I've suffered through them losing Super Bowls all the way up to you know the whole drought and now back into the playoffs. So the Bills are my team. Um, favorite player, um, probably my favorite, uh, my favorite current player. Um, I mean, I love Alvin Kamara because I was right on him in rookie drafts and drafted mm-hmm. him a ton, and it was like my first. That was like one of my first when I started doing analysis of. of rookies and drafts and and those sorts of things like he was one of my first big calls Very nice. um so i i will always be um sort of indebted to him for that 
And um, but probably my favorite current player, I would say, just to like root for person, like person wise, is John Brown. Okay, so I'm gonna or touch DeAndre on Hopkins. The Hop- two of them. Oh yeah, dude, I love Nuke. I love Nuke. Uh, I'm gonna touch on the Kamara thing because then you'll kind of understand where I'm coming from. Same thing happened happened to me, and many people might not realize that Alvin Kamara wasn't someone a lot of people were talking about. So that was a no. a good call on your part. I think in a lot of my home dynasty drafts, leagues, the two that I pay really close attention to, I'm the commissioner of. Uh, he went, I think, like right at the end of the first round or second round. Like he was not someone uh, a lot of people were talking about. Uh, so mine was a uh, mine was Philip Lindsay, as I mentioned earlier. He was a guy mm-hmm. that I was really high on. So I'm indebted to him forever. He could suck the rest of his career and he's never leaving my dynasty rosters because that kid made me look really smart for at least so far two years and and i love him for it um bills so you being a bills fan i've, I've got to say this because i'm a browns fan so i understand the long suffering it's been quite horrible i had my hopes high this year with the team we had coming in and that did not end well uh i was actually high on the bills i thought they'd make the playoffs i kind of feel like uh, I mean it was a great game with what happened with the Texans but if you get you it guys was a horrible game oh <laughs> uh, well yeah I mean the result was horrible I will give you that uh how do you feel about the fact that I don't want to drudge up any old or bad feelings here but I mean you guys have gone you went to four Super Bowls I mean that's got to be a good feeling somewhat right that you guys were at least able to get there I, I mean I've seen the Browns make one playoff game in my existence so yeah yeah, I that so that was I was really young when that all happened. Like I remember it, but I was I was young. I remember I remember the last two Super Bowls, I think. Um but I was really young when I, when those happened, but I remember them happening. Um you know, it's it's interesting like you know, Donovan McNabb was for a lot for a long time. I mean, I'm a Syracuse bat, football fan, so uh you know, I I have sort of a uh I liked the Eagles for a long time too. And it was one of those things like the consistency of continuously getting to the championship game for them. It was the NFC championship game and losing. Yeah. Like it says a lot about like, it's hard to do that. Like it's oh, hard yeah. to be that consistent. Um, and so the, for the bills to get to it four times in a row and lose, like that's a extremely low likelihood event, but uh, to get there that many times, but to lose, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's tough to get that th- there that many times and lose, but I think it's still a, it's still a, a, a really solid accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, I've talked to, there's a couple of bills fans. We had a, on the podcast last off season, we were doing different stuff and uh, we brought them on to talk about the AFC and they were both, mm-hmm. there was two hosts for, uh, I wish I could remember their podcast at the moment, uh, but they were split on that. One of them didn't like the fact that they made the four and lost all for them. The other one was said the same thing. It's a great accomplishment. And that's, I feel like that's the way I'd feel uh, again. Cause as someone who's been a Browns fan my entire life, like just seeing them make the playoffs once in my lifetime, like I would love to see them get to a Super Bowl, even if they didn't win it. The fact that you were able to get there and as you said four times in a row that it's not easy to do I think a lot of people think it is because we've seen the Patriots do that over this huge stretch here and them getting the six rings with Brady and Belichick and people think oh it just must be easy but it's not like that's got to be extremely difficult and so for the Bills to kind of be the first team to do that in a way I think is them you got them the Cowboys of Steelers has kind of been like a longer stretch so uh, I think it's great for them unfortunately not being able to win one obviously probably does suck but the their accomplishment of getting to four uh, is got to be a great feeling if you're a Bills fan. 
All right, we've eaten up enough time of, of, of talking about ourselves here, so let's get into the reason we got you on here, and that's the book, because it is fascinating. Uh, as I said, I got one, uh, I got a copy the other day, uh, and I've been diving into it as someone who, who is not big into the numbers part of it. I, I find myself very fascinated. I've been mostly paying attention to the running back and wide receiver stuff, like I mentioned earlier. So kind of give us a breakdown uh, of the book and what people, when they buy it, should be expecting when they look at it. Yeah, so uh, the 20 so both of my books are designed to be like evergreen strategy books. So this isn't just like a 2020 startup guide or a 2020 here are the players you should pick in 2020. Uh they're both process mm-hmm. you know, strategy pieces, long form strategy guides about uh, different types of different aspects of dynasty. So in 2019, I would say like if you're looking for a beginning to end type of book in terms of uh, a how-to or uh, you know a look at a, a, the entire span of being a dynasty owner, the 2019 edition uh, I think is is probably the place to start. The 2020 edition it's a little bit different because I wanted to focus on some more specific things, um, and I promised myself I'd keep it to 100 pages. Like I wanted, I was like the goal was 100 pages, and when I put it down on paper, it was 100 pages, and I got it to the number, so um, I didn't have to cut anything. But the goal was 100 pages. I left it at 100 pages, even though I had to. I left a couple of things out, but um, I wanted some more like detailed, just topical things in the book. And one of the big things was Superflex. Mm-hmm. And it's the problem the first time around with looking at quarterbacks was I didn't have any like historical Superflex data. And a lot of what I did in, in the first book, and I've been able to do it again with the second book, is look at startup drafts and identify trends. So, you know, before I wrote the book, I always wondered, people would say, you know, he's a good fifth round startup pick. Well, what does that mean? You know, what's the, what is, what is a startup pick actually worth? What is it in terms of expectation? What are you expecting to get out of it? And sort of look at, look, answer those questions. And so, um, I, I went ahead and answered those the first time and then I wanted to look at it from a super flex lens this time around. So a lot of super flex stuff. Um, I have a metric called warp that yeah. is wins over replacement player. And it really, from analyzing whether it's players or picks or decisions, um, when you sort of look at your decisions through the lens of how many games does it actually win you? It really helps your process in terms of it helps you make better decisions. It helps you make better trades. It helps you win uh, with roster construction changes. It helps you just look at players in a more efficient, effective way because ultimately that's what you're looking for is to win more games. So um, I I do a lot of analysis with that. Um, I looked at one question that people had. Like I, I look at now. I think two players that are really good examples of this. If you just look at like the rookie hit rate for tight ends in the first round, like it's it's really high. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know you're expecting you know on average expecting you know probably a, a couple about a, about two or so seasons is what you would probably top twenty four top twelve seasons is what you would kind of be hoping for out of a first round tight end. But I wanted to see sort of how. You know, what does it mean for a guy like David Joku who's gotten inside the line, who's hit for a top 12 season this far in his career? Like, where is he in comparison to a guy like uh, OJ Howard who hasn't? You know, relatively close in draft pedigree, both first round tight ends at the same level of experience. You know, what is, what do their career arcs look like 
going forward. And so that's something that I really wanted to, wanted to look at. And so I look at it a couple different ways. One of my chapters is called base rates. And that's basically looking at the hit rates of players based on what we know about them, which is their draft pedigree and their experience level. Uh, and how, so how long they've been in the NFL and haven't hit. And if you sort of use that, you know, and I was, I actually, for my Patreon show, I was talking about this last night that, you know, you look at guys like uh, Darius Geis and Kerryon Johnson and Ronald Jones, and they've both, all three of them have missed through their first two years of the, of their NFL career. And round two rookie round guys drafted in the second round of the NFL draft at running back, they hit 55% of the time. So that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. But if you if you take it out two years and after they both after they've missed their first two years, it's it drops to twenty six percent. Now you can move players around a little bit based on you can say, all right, well I think you know Geis is going to continuously be injured. It's going to be lower than that. Or Geis has been injured and hasn't been able to prove it. I still think he's talented. You could move it up, right? But just thinking and knowing sort of what the prior history is is really helpful to make those decisions. So that's something that I really focused on. Um, and the other thing too, I focused on sort of from a player analysis perspective was what what is the density right so mm-hmm. once a player hits how dense is the hit and so i think that's really helpful in terms of looking at the trajectory of players you know what's it mean for a guy like you know darren waller like what when when a guy like him hits how deep do you expect to hit from his lower pedigree so those sorts of things um and I think it's really helpful. You you sort of get a, a better range of outcomes on players because then you know sort of how to you know what the prior history is on that type of situation, and it gives you a context in which to value them. And then you can of course change what you what your thoughts are. Maybe history isn't the best predictor of any particular situation, but at least you know. Um, and that's all from a player perspective. And then um, the superflex stuff. I mean, there's a lot of different stuff on superflex valuation. Um, but I also wanted to test some ideas because I, I'm I've always wondered. What trading up in a super, in a startup draft, you know, mortgaging a future pick, what that does for your odds of making the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And I did some polling on Twitter about it, and you know, people people thought uh, uh, that it really moved it up. And you know, there was I think a third of people thought it improved your odds by like fifteen percent or more. And when you look at it, like it's not it's <laughs> that number is way off uh it's it's it doesn't it didn't in 2019 move the odds up that much and okay. you know knowing those sorts of things because the hit rate up at the top of a startup draft is is high but it's not as high as people think like that they're not a given to hit up there mm-hmm. and so when you're mortgaging future assets um you know just knowing what what your odds are and sort of what you're actually what you're buying by trading up is an interesting thing to know. So I looked at a lot of that stuff and sort of what types of teams win championships. And uh, I went through a whole lot of those different topics and what's a random future pick actually worth, you know, in terms of, in terms of what it's going to do for your team, all of those sorts of things I address in the book. And um, there's a lot of different stuff in there answering. And it, a lot of them answer questions that have been, I think accepted as true mm-hmm. in dynasty football uh, for a long time, and a lot of things about you know the values between running backs and wide receivers um, that you know wide receivers hold their value more than running backs. Um, at, at a certain point in the draft, they do, but that's not true <laughs> outside of outside of the top five or six rounds of a startup draft. Like that's just not true. And so knowing those sorts of things gives you an upper hand because you can sort of identify different ways to look at players. 
All right, so you touched on the rookie, uh, the wide receiver running back thing, which I brought up earlier. So I want to go yeah. to that because it's, it's something in here that you have the value uh, that changes between running backs and wide receivers. So, so why do you say that? Because you are right. That is something that is not just in startup drafts, but almost in rookie drafts. It's always draft a running back in the first two rounds and then or trade for a wide receiver, like a second-year, third-year wide receiver, because that's when they typically, quote-unquote, break out. And that's when you want to grab them. So are you trying to say that you should do that, or where is the difference in the value lie with those guys that you were talking about in the book? Uh, so I, as sort of a fundamental thing, as sort of a, uh, I guess just a base level understanding, my research has shown in both books come to the same conclusion on this, although it's in different ways. And, and both books, by the way, it's not, this isn't just an update. Like this isn't like a textbook thing where they, you just update a few parts of it and, and put it out new. It's totally different content, but it, it, okay. it, my research for both of them backed up the same point. Which is that as a, as a general matter, when you're comparing wide receivers to running back, every time you take a wide receiver over a running back, it's a losing proposition. Now, okay. unfortunately, we have to start wide receivers. Right? You have to draft them. Um, and so the best time that you can ever do so in terms of the least time you're going to the, – the, the time that you're going to maintain their startup value – uh, longer or their, their market value longer than running backs. The only time that happens is early in a startup draft, okay. um, in the top five rounds. And, um, and the only time that you're not hemorrhaging value by taking a wide receiver over a running back is in the top five rounds of a startup draft. So the combination of those two things, um, makes to me a really optimal strategy is to go wide receiver early. Now that might cap your upside a little bit, mm -hmm. but in terms of protecting your floor and giving you a long-term core to build around, like that's, I think the ideal place to go. Um, outside of that, so outside of the first five and maybe if you're in super flex, maybe like six rounds, but I would look to, you know, the players that are sort of how many quarterbacks go and you can sort of move that number a little bit, but I'd say outside the top, 75 picks in a startup draft every time you take a wide receiver over a running back you're losing value um, you're losing functionality in your lineup you're losing uh, warp you know you're losing uh, you're losing uh, expected top 24 finishes you're losing upside uh, and you're losing the the function the functionality of that you get out of a running back and at, at this so at the same cost anytime outside of the top 75 picks of a startup draft you should go running back over receiver okay and so and that that basically backs up all through if you sort of look at the the players that go in a given range like that 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 is partially because of the the hit rates on positions but generally speaking it's a lot tougher to get a wide receiver it's a lot tougher to predict when wide receiver production is going to happen and running back production is much, much more predictable in terms of the weeks it's going to happen. Okay. Uh, so while we're talking about this, because I, what I found fascinating, I was talking about earlier how I've kind of read through some of the running back and wide receiver ones, but where I've really dove in deep on is, uh, what was it? I was just, I just had it pulled up. I was trying to get back to the beginning of it because I was, uh, so chapter four, the 20, uh, 2019 rookie classic guide to navigating mm -hmm. future rookie drafts. I was, I was looking at that. Yes. 
And what I found interesting is is also the correlation to what you have in the NFL here. And in a way, I guess you could almost describe it as draft capital. You were talking about how wide receivers drafted, uh, I believe it was, is it the first three rounds have a have a 97? Man, I had it up here, and I'm, I'm trying to scroll through everything as I'm going through here. Uh, there's like a 97% uh, rate of uh, not getting replaced or not getting uh, taken over. I can't remember the words that you used by the yeah, next Yeah, year. You survivor gave, rate. Yeah, survivor, survivor rate. rate. That's yeah, what yeah, it was. Yeah. So yes. that with yeah, uh, yeah. with that um, just using because as we all are right now, obviously we've got the Senior Bowl game on this weekend. You got the Combine coming in a month. We're going to get ready to head into our 2020 rookie drafts. So is that something that you would suggest paying very close attention to? Because I saw a couple of the guys you had in here with some stuff. Because you know you have a, he cannot speak Hakeem Butler in here a lot for some stuff. Who is a guy that I loved but did not come with the draft capital last year. He got drafted behind a bunch of guys where you talk about how key it was that DK Metcalf, Josh Jacobs, AJ Brown got drafted where they were. So is that something with this uh with your book that also explains why you should pay attention to that in the NFL draft where these players get drafted? Oh, NFL draft is is uh, if I was talking to someone about this last night and I, I, my sister doesn't watch football. She doesn't know, you know, a, a, a tackle from a wide receiver. <laughs> and I, I jokingly said that I could just just by just telling her the rounds of which to target players in terms mm-hmm. of their draft pedigree. Like, I think that she could be. Uh, field an average team <laughs> and just by sort of avoiding bad pedigrees at certain positions and as a general matter investing in day three wide receivers is a waste of time okay um they they just don't hit um you know in the top so i looked at i looked at wide receivers going back to 2000 yeah, and the chart i have here is two, 2008 through 2016 mm-hmm. in the first three years of their career uh 3% of day 3 wide receivers hit for a top 24 season wow let me say that again 3% yeah and now if you look if you look at it the day 2 receivers hit uh on average 18% of the time so mm-hmm. it, so that's still a really low number yeah. right uh, and that's just in in the first 3 years so um but you know people make you know one of the things i talked about was people make these you know oh instant impact type arguments and i i just uh, that doesn't really happen all that often at wide receiver it do, i mean there's there's players that do it but it's it's we sort of gloss over how many misses there are when we right. talk about guys like Terry McLaurin or, you know, um, his, he's one of the good examples of this or DJ Chark. Like we gloss over a lot of the misses when we talk about those guys. Yeah. And, you know, and, and so, so day two wide receivers, uh, you know, 18% of the time they hit in the first three years and at wide for day three, it's 3%. And so that's six times, you're six times more likely if you're taking a day three wide receiver or a day two wide receiver over day three wide receiver. And that's still, I mean, that is the hit rate in round one. So just to give you an idea in those first three years, it's 48%. So just the massive drop from going from round, yeah. you know, <laughs> round one to round two and then from round two to round three, basically each, each round you go, <laughs> you cut it in half. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just so being, I, I think being cognizant of that and being careful of those things, it's really important. Yeah, what I what I would say on that, uh, the wide receivers that you were just talking about, like Terry McLaurin, and last year, who I'm trying to remember, we had one good wide receiver out of that rookie class last year. I think 
We've all kind of gotten spoiled by that 2014 class where you had like the Odell Beckham, Sammy Watkins, Mike Evans, where all those guys almost immediately made impacts on their teams. And so we kind of expected that every single year, and it really hasn't happened. I mean, you've had, you know, off the top of my head, I mean, Amari Cooper had a really good rookie season. I want to say, um, who was this? I know you had in here Juju. Obviously, that's a lot of people are expecting big step forward for him this year because of what he did last year. Uh, DJ Chark in his second year this year. And then uh, you were just mentioning... Uh, Terry McLaurin, I think really A.J. Brown kind of did it at the end of this year, but yeah, Terry McLaurin and D.K. Metcalf had had decent years this year that maybe some people weren't expecting based on based on where they landed, maybe kind of the outliers in the in in uh in the data that you have here. Uh you were mentioning another thing. I'll, I'll kind of want to dive a little bit more into uh how did you come up with your density uh and base values when you were talking about that for like your running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends? Uh, how did I come up with it? Yeah. Well, I, I basically the base rates and the density rates basically break up two different things. So base rates basically measure how likely a player is to hit if they haven't hit yet. So, for example, you know if if you so Carry On Johnson hasn't produced a top twenty four season, and uh-huh. and just by the way, I I identify a hit as a top twenty four season for a running back or receiver, uh, and a top twelve finish for a quarterback or a tight end. Okay, um, and different and and so. A hit is just accomplishing that. And I, I use that term because to write, you know, a top 24 finish every time I want to express right. that in a, <laughs> in a 150 page book would make it 250 pages. So yeah. I just picked a term. Um, and so, you know, so that's, I wanted to look at that and sort of get to what, you know, how often do these guys actually get inside that top 24 line and are, are uh, running back two or better. Um, and so, and it, 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 not surprisingly by draft pedigree, it drops every round. Mm -hmm. And as players go along, as they age without hitting their hit rate goes down. And so, and knowing, so I, I think that's, that makes sense. This is sort of an intuitive matter, yeah. but when you sort of know what, where the you know where the tiers are, where the fault lines are in a player's progression, that's really important because you'll be able to identify, hey, you know, this is a make or break year for this player. What's either you know I, I don't think it's going to happen, and I want to get out, and I can see a price fall coming. Um, those it really helps evaluate those types of situations, and it also helps evaluate the slow starter. You know, slow starters at tight end, it's not it doesn't hurt their uh, their odds of hitting all that much. Whereas at running back, it hurts it hurts a lot. So you know, you look at those two things, and it's you have to understand each position differently. And then, so I, so that's the that's the base rate thing, and then the density thing. And I ca- kind of call this the Kenny Galladay rule because the Kenny Kenny Galladay was a guy that's a day three wide receiver that again was was down the line in terms of rookie drafts, and he hits for a top twenty four season. Well, what? How do you and so he would have surpassed what you would expect his average outcome to be by hitting. How do you sort of treat that player? What's is that? What does that progression of his career now look like? Because it puts him on a different track because he's sort of gotten inside the line, and and sort of now I know. Okay, well let's look at round three wide receivers that have hit. How often do they hit after that initial hit? And so that's really what a de- that's what really what density looks at. And uh-huh. I think it it 
it gives you an idea in terms of it helps you avoid one hit wonders. Um, each position is different in terms of how often players bounce back uh, and hit again in their density. Um, but it really helps you get an idea of, am I looking at a one hit wonder type profile in terms of draft pedigree? Or am I looking at a guy that's got an extended long-term history, you know, treating a guy like, um, you know, uh, you know, Josh Jacobs, for example, yeah. first round running back, that hits like that. That's a that's an incredible career arc in terms of fantasy value. Uh-huh. Um, whereas you know, uh, if you picked a day three guy that hits, you know, a Tariq, um, uh, you know, a Tariq Cohen type with a lower pedigree, or um, you know, uh, pick a day three running back that's hit. You know, their their career arc is they're, they're different. And so understanding sort of what you're looking for, those are extreme examples, but knowing what to look for uh, in their career arc is really, really important. So that's what density measures. Okay. Yeah, I was uh, going over some of that earlier, just kind of scrolling through it. Like I said, I was really trying to, to focus in on the QBs, wide receiver stuff, and then the rookie uh, stuff. And I was looking at the the, the one hit, uh, was it, what'd you have? The one hit wonder rates and everything on here, which yep. I, I thought was yep. very interesting. So. What, uh, let's see here, you have on here something that I thought was very interesting, the way that you worded it, because it's definitely true in uh, NFL football, so I'm curious as how it translates to fantasy football. You have in here succeeding at the most important position, QB. Why is that? Well, it's tough, and I think that we overstate, and, and I am guilty of this, um, probably not at the, at the most guilty aspect okay. of it, but I'm guilty of it. <laughs> People talking about how successful Baker Mayfield was going to be after his rookie season. Yeah. Um, now be careful. It got Just totally out of control. Be careful. It got what totally you say. out of control. Be careful what you say about my boy Baker here, because I will cut the podcast off. I'm just letting you know. But <laughs> no, I'm just messing I'm with you. I'm a pro Baker guy. Okay. I'm a pro perfect. Baker guy. Perfect. All right. Then you can I, I continue. I like Baker Mayfield. I, I I liked him coming out of college. I liked him. Uh. You know, I liked him coming out of college. I liked him in his first season, and I like him as a player. Mm-hmm. I, and I think he's entertaining, right? Like, yeah. I don't have a problem with Baker Mayfield. What what I think he is a good example of is is that everything has a cost, and yeah. all of a lot of these things are questions of cost. I can like Baker Mayfield, but putting him off of you know less than a season of production without a without a high end finish uh, in terms of a seasonal finish. Up at QB four in a super flex draft, that's suicidal. <laughs> and so, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I hadn't written that part of the book and gotten to that research when that was happening. Uh-huh. But now, like I look back now, and I say that you just can't do that again. You know, what I mean that you just can't, you just can't make that mistake in terms of drafting someone so high. And when you look at the base rates of these guys, like forty five percent of the top ten quarterbacks. Uh, hit for like you know become long-term starters mm-hmm. that's not a high rate no, not at in all. terms of i mean if you if you it's worse than a coin flip mm-hmm. and so we can like baker but keeping him in context is a different thing and the hit rates like for for 101 guys is is only like 55 60 percent and you would think like of all of everything like they would have the best shot with everything that's put into investing in quarterbacks it's still Two, more, uh, more than a third of them flunk out. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, so looking at those things and, and having an idea of context and, and just of the quarterback position, I think it's really important to look at career arcs there. And I sort of dove into that in the Superflex chapter. What, um, 
for before we move off from the quarterback, so what exactly, or I shouldn't say exactly, how um, what's the best way to look at them then? Like where, how much production are you looking for to kind of move those guys up there? You said obviously one year of production for Baker, and he was. There was a lot of people who were drafting him as like the second or third quarterback even, uh, not just in super flex drafts, but in regular drafts as they, they thought he'd be a top three quarterback moving forward. How much production do you want to see out of your quarterback before you're willing to take them that high? Um, I think you need, you need elite production and it's a, it's a little bit of a moving scale in terms of, um, in terms of pedigree, but generally speaking, if you, um, you know, and I put, I put in the book, like some, some trademarks to, you know, some trend marks to look for the guys that are like truly successful, they tend to hit for a younger, uh, top 12 season than guys that tend to be one hit wonders. Mm -hmm. Like the difference between their hits you know, the long-term guys and the one-hit wonders, it's like a year in terms of, I think it was just under, it was like 23 and change for uh, guys that were long-term hits and the guys that were one-hit wonders, like they hit at age 25. Um, and so you, that's like a really important thing to look for. When does a person first get there? Um, you know, and then one thing I also looked at is, you know, the difference between a quarterback that has produced a top 12 season and hasn't mm-hmm. in terms of NFL starts. Right, because if you're playing superflex, upside's important, but you you really need quarterbacks that are going to be that that are going to have longevity. And knowing that a guy like Sam Darnold is in this year, like this is a do or die year for him. Uh-huh. And I don't I don't think it, at at this. I mean, if you look at if you the average quarterback. The average top ten pick in the NFL draft that misses it that misses that doesn't produce a top twelve season starts fifty point two five games, so fifty and a quarter games in their NFL career. And you know what that coincides with? Year four in the NFL. Okay. <laughs> and and so it, you look at a guy like Darnold, and you look at you know he is on a he is on a track where where he is going down you know the the he's been in the he'll this will be year three yeah the guys that the difference between guys that that um miss in year three it drops you significantly if you miss through three years it drops you significantly in terms of your future production so sort of knowing that career arc that's that's a big that is a big tear break in terms of future production so you get a guy like daniel jones i mean I, i've seen some drafts where him and sam darnold are going right next to each other like mm-hmm. we can not like daniel jones or you know different people have sort of different positions on daniel jones um i i just i look at the profile top 10 pick and you get basically another year on darnold and i, I don't know about you but i'm not really buying what the jets are selling in no, terms of how gase has just been terrible at producing you know, at producing players. And so I just, I, I am pretty bearish on, on a guy like Darnold just because of where he is in his, in his career arc and sort of how fragile that long-term ability is at that point. Yeah. I mean, not to, not to get too far off the book here, but I, I was with you on the, the Gase Darnold stuff. I, I hated Gase coming over there. I, I look at what Brian Flores has been able to do in Miami and how, how, uh, how all these players who have now left Miami, how good they've looked in other organizations that were under Gase that did nothing like this, and then seeing him come over to the Jets. I, I'm with you. Darnold was a guy who a lot of people loved, obviously. I, w- I was with <laughs> you on the Baker Mayfield stuff. I thought I was thrilled when the Browns drafted him. He was my favorite quarterback. But number two for me was Darnold. So I, I, I still mm-hmm. like Darnold a lot, and I'm right there with you. I'm worried that, that this might honestly be the end for him. 
Uh, there is there's a couple more questions. If you I'll, yeah, just just on that point while we're talking about it, yeah. round uh, top ten picks in the NFL draft at quarterback position. If they've missed through two years, um, if that's what we know about them, that they've missed for a top twelve season through two years, their odds of producing a top twelve season in their career is forty seven percent. Wow! So you're a top ten pick. <clears throat> you go forward, uh, you're a top 10 pick in your third year with two misses on your record, it's 47%. If you miss a third time, mm-hmm. it drops to 11%. So that's a massive difference. Yeah. That is a massive, this is a massive year for him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That I'm trying to, well, Josh Rosen's out the door, anyways, I would think. So I was trying to think of but going through this year. So I, I don't know off the top of my head. I'd imagine you probably know because you, you've obviously done all the research for this. Did Kyler Murray. Um, did Kyler Murray hit a top 12 this year? He did. He did. Okay. So he's, he's somewhat safe. Who am I, who else am I thinking of? I know Haskins didn't. Who else, uh, who else? Jones. We were just talking about him. Did Jones hit? Jones did not hit. There was no way he hit top 12 this year. Did he? No, he, he didn't. He's an interesting one though, because he was injured and stuff, but he had, I think he had three QB one weeks, some crazy thing like that. I think it was three QB one weeks. So he's an interesting one in terms of in terms of trajectory, but between him and, uh, between him and Darnold, like if you're, if you get any discount on, on Darnold or on Daniel Jones compared to Darnold, you should, mm-hmm. I think that between the two of them, I would pretty clearly want to have, uh, Daniel Jones over Darnold. Yeah, I don't disagree with you on that. Matter of fact, uh, just to touch on him before I ask you this next question, uh, in, uh, I was in a super flex uh, rookie draft last year where I got Daniel Jones at the sixth pick of the second round, which I thought was just ridiculous because in super mm-hmm. flex, especially in rookie drafts, you, you've got to value those quarterbacks because of just using – before I even obviously heard any of this stuff from you or, or read anything, uh, the NFL draft capital alone of him being a top five pick uh, – or top, I think it went six, so top ten pick uh, for the, the Giants, you had, to draw, you had to value him highly. So I'm with you on that taking him uh, over Darnold right now. This this kind of caught my eye here, and so I, I want to ask you about this because I feel like it, it's something that is uh, very prevalent here in the fantasy community, a lot like the wide receiver running back debate. Uh, consistency. A lot of people say that there are a lot of players that are very consistent, and that's what you should go for. So you haven't heard that consistency is a myth. Why do you say that? Because it is. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's a myth uh, for a couple of reasons. Um As a general rule, mm-hmm. there is nothing that says there is you you can't point to data that suggests that teams that are more consistent week to week are are better okay. um, in terms of and I measured it in a lot of different ways because I assumed that that was true. Um, I just assumed you know teams that you know if you get a bunch of guys that perform the same you know that they're going to be better just on 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 average you would think they'd be better and so i was really looking for it and i looked a lot of different ways and there is there's nothing to suggest that teams that are more consistent perform better records um and when you think about it like i actually i get i went through i have um 
I had a sample of 52 leagues mm-hmm. with 12 teams apiece. And so I went through and I looked at, at all of those at all of those teams and I did a whole bunch of analysis on on the leagues and and their uh, you know their their luck and you know all of those things. And the the way you would measure to see if consistency is good is you would look to see the standard deviation and teams that have a high standard deviation you would expect to be um, you know suffer and record and teams that have a low standard deviation or perform more consistently would have a higher record. Mm-hmm. And there is, it's, it's a, a totally random walk. <laughs> it's <a> totally <laughs> random walk. And so when you, uh, when you sort of understand that and you, you start from that premise that creates a lot of value opportunities because when play, when there's a narrative on a player that is, you know, always inconsistent, well, you're starting 10 players or yeah. uh, nine players or 11 players or whatever your roster is, you're starting all of those guys. And, and between all of them, you're going to have up weeks, you're going to have down weeks, but you're sort of putting them all together on a, in a lineup and you can't, you know, they're going to, they're going to have peaks and valleys and they're going to intersect with each other at different points. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so I, I don't think that when you look at the data, there's nothing to really suggest that, that those things matter. And it's, it's a lot more, um, you know, it's, it's random how that happens. Um, and you know, you look at the thing that if, if you were just to, if you were just to take, you know, to say, hey, what would you, what do you want to do in terms of how, how should I win more games? Just someone that has never played fantasy football before. Well, you'd say score a lot of points, right? And yeah. 95% of your all play win percentage is dictated by how many points you score, right? Like, obviously, <laughs> you know, the more points you score, the better your team's going to yeah, be. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so I, I don't, but the order of the, the, what people sort of get hung up on, I think, is the ordering of those points. And I don't, uh, just give me players that are going to score a lot of points like Mike Evans this year. Yeah. Like Mike Evans won you more than a game over replacement. And you know what? A lot of his, uh, a good chunk of his production came in a, in a, ha- in a handful of weeks, but you want to know what, when, when he was, you were never going to not play him. Yeah. Right. You were, he was always going to be in your lineup. And so you captured it all. And you, in the weeks that he played like really well and was the a top five wide receiver, you probably won. Mm-hmm. Right. You probably like the, the game that he went just totally just totally off. Like you probably won that week and it was probably just fueled by him. And you know what? The other weeks like that you have nine other guys on your roster. Um, and so uh, those those dip weeks matter a lot less than the high upside weeks matter. And so so that's sort of the premise. And then if you look at it like wide receivers inherently inconsistent. So as just as a as a general rule, if you get if if. You have a receiver on your team that finishes half of the weeks as a top 24 receiver. And we're not even talking about a really high threshold. We're talking about right. a wide receiver to finish or better. Uh-huh. That's a, that's, they've had an outstanding season. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, people sort of are like, you know, we put Michael P- Thomas on a pedestal and we should. And Devontae Adams was this way, I think, last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was, or two years ago, where he had these, just this incredible floor where he had, uh, you know, uh, all of these games like above 10 I think it was like above 10 points yeah. at all of his games like those those things are rare and we celebrate them because they're rare mm-hmm. but wide receivers are highly fluctuating and so if you get half of your games out of a receiver our top 24 weeks like they've had a really good season and so but people don't people sort of see the the fluctuation at the position and don't 
uh, and get sort of um, annoyed by it or it doesn't feel quite as good because your guy had a down week. But in reality, if half of them are, are top 24 weeks, you've had a good season. And so so that's really the the thing that I think about it. And, and the at running back, like I don't want consistency at running back. Mm-hmm. What I want is a running back that I know when I put in my lineup has a chance to score a lot of points. Now, if you take that back for a second, like – Latavius Murray this year. When you put Latavius Murray in your lineup this year, like you knew, especially like there were some people that came into the season thinking, oh, he might be a solid flex play. But as the season went on, like that became kind of clear that that wasn't going to be what happened. But when Kamara missed time and you put Latavius Murray in your lineup, he was, you knew the exact weeks to do it because Kamara was out. And you got a huge windfall from that. Like he won you close to a half a game over replacement in like a really short sample size. And so consistency at running back, you you don't you can capture running back you can capture the running back upside weeks because you have the ability to know sort of when the starters are gonna be out. And at receiver, I would much rather have there's a natural inconsistency at the position. So give me the receiver that has a high high likelihood to finish as a top 24 receiver for the season mm-hmm. give me that guy and i'll let the chips fall where they may in terms of the ordering of the points all right so with with you saying that i wonder if this is kind of falls into into chapter six which i thought was was interesting because a lot of people do tend to avoid this part of the discussion in fantasy in my opinion uh, and i do see a lot of the warp talking here so you may have already addressed this a little bit when you were talking about warp uh but is embracing the randomness what what do you mean by embracing the randomness of fantasy here yeah, so there's we overstate our ability to predict this. Mm-hmm. And we're <laughs> not in control true. of players and we don't have we don't have a way to influence the outcome of a player's career. But we talk with such certainty about uh, about their outcomes and all of those things. And in in reality, there's a lot of randomness that goes on and that we should we should appreciate that and learn how to how to uh, embrace it. And so what I mean by that is like we you, you look and I did a lot of research on on this and I put I did a lot of different Twitter polls and they're not scientific but I think they get to I think they're they're at least true intuitively. People overestimate their ability to win leagues. Mm-hmm. And I went through an experiment with my league and uh, it was a startup draft that I did and there were some good owners in it. And so I went around and I asked them all. I said, you know, what's the chance that you have a win a league in year one? And the the average uh, estimate was twenty two point four percent. Well, it's a one it's a twelve team league with uh, with with only one champion. Okay, so the odds of of actually winning the league are eight point three percent on average. So people were overestimating it by by almost three times as likelihood, mm-hmm. uh, three times the likelihood. And so when you when you take a step back from that that has massive implications right people are way over certain about their outcomes that means they're they're pricing their future first round pick uh more cheaply because i think it's going to be a playoff first and a lot of those picks you know the the people at the high end um, aren't going to some of the people that are estimating that are going to be closer to 101 than they are to 112. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you sort of look at that, that has re- real implications. Um, and that has, that, that typically means that those picks, the odds of, the odds of, um, having those picks be higher, right? They, they, they're actually, you know, people are under, 
people are underestimating their ability to fail, I guess would be the better way. They're, they're <laughs> underestimating the likelihood their pick's going to be really high in a draft. So they're more likely to move off of it. Right. Um, and then when you sort of look at what a, and I did a lot of rant, I did a lot of just, um, uh, random simulations. And one of the things was that rookie picks are undervalued based on, you know, people look at them and say, oh, yeah, it falls between uh, six and seven in the startup draft. Like that was the majority of what people thought mm-hmm. or uh, sorry, a, a first round pick in a rookie draft was between picks 106 and 107, which would be the exact middle of the round. But when you actually look at it and you sort of go through the values of these players and you use warp to sort of look at these things. Where, where the actual pick is, where the random pick is, is 105. Mm-hmm. Because peop- we don't appreciate this, but there's a big difference between 101 and 102. Yeah. Right? The, and the, the, the chance to get that high pick has a, it, those picks have a high, have a, have a much higher upside than the difference between, uh, 111 and 112. Mm-hmm. Right? Like the gap there isn't that big, but the gap at the high end is really big. You know, the gap between, 106 or 101 and 106 in terms of valuation in terms of f- uh, future wins over replacement is like the gap between 107 and 312 wow right okay. two and a half rounds and so that's how like that's how important getting those shots are up at the top because that they can really move the needle and um and and if people are underpricing that and sort of not appreciating the chance that their pick is that high um you know by embracing the randomness it's just one of the things i talked about that there's a you have it's a it's a high it's a high upside type of bet because if you get a couple of those that crack uh you know top three picks mm-hmm. like this year like that can like, good luck for yeah. the league to catch you and <laughs> you know and so that's that's a lot of it and there's a lot of there's a lot of other things but i think that's probably the best example of like how okay. randomness can really come into it and just don't overestimate your ability to uh, appreciate don't overestimate your uh, ability to predict things because a lot of these things just aren't aren't we we can't get that great at it so just appreciating that because we are not in control of it Mm -hmm. Um, so just appreciating that and not not making huge bets on things you can't control or you know uh that th- those things are will help you long term avoid missing. Well, I, I mean, I'm not gonna lie that that does hit a little bit uh, home for me in my my main uh, home dynasty league this year. I was uh, boasting very much as being the first back to back champion in our league, and that failed. I, I, I my team kind of fell apart there in the championship round, mostly because I had, as you were just talking about, a lot of guys that I thought were were very consistent. I didn't take into effect the 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 valleys that they could hit. One of the guys we were talking about earlier, New Hopkins, I just expected he was going to be a top three wide receiver every single week of the season, and I was going to be ready to roll because I had him, Adams, and then you have, as you mentioned, the randomness of actual football happens, and sometimes you're not going to get those outcomes, and it ended up costing me a championship. I got a little bit too ahead of myself, traded away uh, what would now have been pick 1.2 in this year's draft. I now no longer have it to try and get some depth to help what I thought was going to be a championship lineup. So I, I do agree with you that that's kind of uh, – 
a shift that I've changed in my narrative of, I'd say, the past couple years, where when I first started out in Dynasty, I was one of those guys who was trading away picks like they, like I was giving out candy at Halloween. I was like, give me these mm-hmm. players because you can't trust these rookie picks and everything. And I've really kind of changed and come back around on that and, and tried to save picks and even trade away guys that I thought might be coming toward the end of their careers to get more picks, even if it's just like the second round, especially in drafts like this year, as you just mentioned how deep it is. Uh, to kind of help build my team. All right, so uh, last chapter here, and then I'll let you get out of here as we've been going for for a little over an hour right now. Um, your strategy implementation, and one of the things you kind of already talked about here with the, the selecting the wide receivers at the history of top 24 finishes, so we'll skip skip over that one since we talked about that. Uh, your first one here, trade down from picks uh, in the top two rounds in a startup draft to acquire additional startup picks. Uh, why? Just kind of give – I just kind of want a quick uh, – uh, what's a like a quick summarization of, of the, why you have these as your strategy uh, implementations here? Um, yeah, just I looked at the data and it suggests that that teams that trade up don't really, especially when they mortgage a future first round pick, mm-hmm. it doesn't really help you as much as you think. Okay, and so there's a especially in superflex. I think this is true. If you if you're willing to move down out of the first couple rounds and accumulate a lot of picks. Um, and it's even if they're future picks or if you can get multiple shots in the top 75, I mean, if you're, if you're picking on you know, the first six rounds, if you're picking seven, eight, nine times, uh-huh. I mean, your odds of hitting really improve. And, you know, I always say I like to leave the first six rounds of a startup draft with five guys that hit. It's a lot easier to hit with five guys, hit on five guys when I'm selecting eight or nine times. Right. And, you know, you sort of, you do those things and the people, you know, people overestimate the ability to, to even in the first round, they overestimate the the hit rate, and they think, "Oh, these guys are sure bets." And you know, we're debating between, you know, is this guy is this guy, you know, could he finish his uh, running back ten, or has he got running back five upside, or those sorts of things? Like, there's a there's a huge miss rate in there, yeah. and people sort of gloss over that a little bit. So I think moving down um, in a startup draft, and I think you can do it both ways. I actually think if you sort of select are really, really selective at wide receiver, I think you can trade down, accumulate future assets and contend early in a startup draft or early in a startup league. All right. These next two are, are very interesting to me. They're both, uh, centralized on the running back position, optimize roster construction, selecting twice or three times as many running backs compared to wide receivers to your roster. Um, yes. Um, you don't want to the the running backs are higher upside mm-hmm. and when you sort of go through you know all the things that we talked about the running backs are higher upside even if they even if they don't hit for a top 24 season you can still get a massive a massive outcome from them Raheem Mostert Damian Williams examples from the last 2 years of guys that made difference making difference making um championship outcomes yeah. for teams that were nothing early in the season so having more shots at 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 running backs um there's a there's a higher a much higher chance that the running backs that you have rostered that are way you know way deeper in and startup drafts are uh have a chance to help you it's still a low probability but they're much more likely to do it than wide receivers 
And then sticking with the the running back theme here, which I, this one I found really interesting because I feel like we do kind of value the the committee backfields and the fact of guys who are like, oh, well, this guy's – I'll use the Ravens, for example, this past year. A lot of people were very high on Justice Hill because they thought, oh, he's going to be the receiving back. He's going to get a lot of the receiving work where Mark Ingram is going to be kind of the main guy that they use rushing. Justice Hill, great pick in rookie drafts. Not saying that he won't do anything, but this year obviously was a huge letdown. You put here, prefer backup running backs over receiving – Centric com, uh, committee running back. So, kind of give us an idea of why you say that. Because the upside's higher. Okay. Um, and so you take a guy like you know Alexander Madison, mm-hmm. right? Like he's he's essentially he's essentially a binary thing. He's either going to sit the bench on your league or he's going to um, start. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not because, and the reason that he would start is because uh, you know Delvin Cook gets hurt. Right. Um, or Delvin Cook gets suspended or Delvin Cook goes someplace else for some reason that Delvin Cook is out, um, that Delvin Cook is not in the lineup. So it's going to be Alexander Madison. And typically we know those things in advance, at least a week in it, at least an hour and a half in advance. Right. right. Because, um, you know, it might be an injury or whatever, but we might have we will tend to know. Um, and they when you get those opportunities, they have high upside. Um, Latavius Murray is a good example of this. Two years ago, if you had put. Um, Latavius Murray and TJ Yeldon, there was like a stretch of like six to eight weeks where if you just put those two guys in your lineup because they were playing as backups, mm-hmm. but but had a stretch that basically went for almost two straight months um, back to back where they you could have put them in your lineup, it would have added you a win over replacement. Those two guys in those short sample sizes that those things don't happen for guys like Naheem Hines or, you know, I don't know. Theo Riddick is an example of a guy that used to be a, you know, people would like him in a committee backfield. Those guys don't tend to move the needle. It's the guys that that come in and can get 15 plus touches and have two way ability that can do so. So I value the guys like that are that are straight backups because of and it maximizes the injury rate at court at running back too. it's sort of an it's the opposite. You're taking the opposite bet on that. All right, and then last question to get you out of here. You have in here, it's back in Chapter 5 with the Superflex of how uh, how to identify long-term success. How how do you identify long-term success and how it helps your fantasy team? Yeah, I would just say you should be pretty selective on the quarterbacks you take. Okay. And you want to look at quarterbacks. And, and I go through a whole process in there, and there's some metrics that you can look at um, in, the, in the book. But I think generally we we are – not we don't appreciate the uh, miss rate on quarterbacks, especially especially when we're drafting them in like super flex drafts and we're drafting younger ones and how tough it is for them to truly hit and be meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and generally speaking, like I I am I worry about the one hit wonders because those tend to be the guys that you pay up a lot for and miss. And so I identify in the book a couple of different ways to look at those guys and sort of, um, you know, the age and what they hit and sort of how in like how how good they are with their initial hit. Um, those will tell you a lot of, a lot of different, um, those will give you a lot better idea on miss, uh, on how to avoid those one hit wonders. All right. Well, Jordan, thank you so much for jumping on here with me today. I really appreciate it. This has been extremely interesting. I, I'm looking forward to diving more into this, especially, like I said, I'm really intrigued by the rookie pick stuff you had, and there was kind of eye-opening some of the discussions you had with the wide receivers. We already talked about some of those guys, Josh Jacobs, 
Uh, where can we find your book? Where can we get your book? Let us know the, the name of the book again and, and anything else you want to tell us before we get out of here. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Um, it was, it's fun, and I hope you're enjoying your weather more than I am. I definitely um, am. The, uh, you can find the book at analyticsofdynasty.com slash shop. The 2020 edition to a lot of these things we just went through are available for – it's available for $30. It's a PDF form, so when when you press um, – you know, enter on the payment. It'll send you an email, and you'll actually get a link confirmation to download the book. Um, you can download it, have a PDF, and then when you're trying to make trades or anything, it's always accessible. You you can always have it and look to the look to the rates or whatever chapter you want to check on the info for what you're looking for. It's always available to you. Um, the 2019 edition is also on sale. It's for twenty dollars. Um, I put it on sale when I released the 2020 edition. So you can do that if you're newer to Dynasty. If you're thinking about taking the plunge and saying, hey, you know, I, I just don't know what picks are worth. Or, you know what am I what am I doing? That'll give you a great it'll give you a great uh, jumping off point. And there's yeah. some there's some stuff for all types of dynasty owners in there. But if you're brand new to dynasty, I'd re- really really recommend the Analytics Dynasty 2019 edition um, as well. And you can get them you can get them both. Um, I don't they're not really that dupl- duplicative. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also find my uh, my Patreon channel. I do. Um, a Patreon podcast thing. I have a I have a group me that are that are subscribers to the book and my Patreons. We're in there. We're we're going through a couple of startup drafts right now. I mean it's Jan, it's mid to late January and I've got a couple different people in startup drafts. So we're talking about picks and identifying some players already. Um, some different formats and stuff. There's a lot of interesting things that that uh, my subscribers are involved with. We talk about all that in our group me. But I've been putting out podcasts uh, in my. In my Patreon uh, account and or on my Patreon site, and I do I think I don't know I've it's probably been active for just under four weeks now, and I've probably put out close to twenty podcasts. Like it's just Man. a thing I can do easily at night, and I'm like, oh, I'm looking at this. I'm like, oh, let's just record it. So all of that stuff's coming out, um, and you can go to Patreon.com/slash/AnalyticsDynasty for as little as four dollars a month. You can get in on that. So, awesome. um, and follow me on Twitter uh, at McNamara Dynasty, and you can check out the Analytics of Dynasty podcast where you get your podcasts. Yeah, well, I didn't know about the podcast, so I'm going to have to download that today and subscribe for sure because that, that's in I try and keep it hidden. <laughs> well, hey, you shouldn't, man. I'm telling you right now because all this stuff has been awesome. I, I do want to touch on one thing you mentioned right there. Uh, it's it's worth more than $30. I feel like you're kind of shorting yourself on that because it, it's it's awesome. And the new, new guys to Dynasty that you were just talking about, or girls, uh, it is well worth it. I, I was definitely going through that stuff with the with the draft picks. I love the way that you compare it to what it's worth to startup picks and, and everything else in there. It's very very helpful for people, even for people like me who have been playing. I've been playing for over a decade, and even looking at some of that stuff you have in there, it, it's interesting to see the data that you've put with it and. Like, like we talked about earlier, the way that you've kind of shown maybe certain things we've been told all our lives in fantasy aren't necessarily true. So it's worth more than $30. I promise you, if you guys buy it, not even if, when you guys buy it, you'll get your money worth out of it within minutes of you reading this book. It is well worth it. I have it right on my phone, as you were just talking about. Very accessible. Very easy to get into. Follow him on Twitter. Jump in the Patreon channel. Download the podcast. I promise you, you guys will be much more successful in your Dynasty Leagues listening to Jordan than me, uh, because I don't 
follow the randomness like Jordan does. I believe that I know the future, and we've seen how well that's worked out for me so far this year. So, Jordan, seriously, thank you so much for jumping on with me today. Uh, I hope we can talk again soon because I'd love to bring you on throughout maybe the draft process and talk about different stuff you see because uh, you definitely approach things with a different mind than I do, and I always love seeing the analytics side of it because I'm just honestly not that good at looking at the numbers and everything and putting all that stuff together. But I really do appreciate you jumping on with me today. I hope you have yourself a good weekend, and I look forward to talking to you again soon yeah sounds good i'll be uh, glad to come back in in the springtime prepare for glory i don't know if you got your popcorn ready do you got your popcorn ready i came out the wrong line already and he's hit the end zone for an unbelievable touchdown i would be honored if you played football